Well, we are going to jump right in. We're starting week four of our series on boundaries. And uh, we're going to do things a little bit differently. We're just going to jump right in and let's pray and let's come before the Lord. And then we're going to, we're going to see what God has to say to us through his word. So as we often do, let's just take a minute. Let's posture ourselves. Let's just clear our hearts. Let's come before our Father. Lord, here we are. God, we thank you that you've made us your sons and your daughters. We thank you that in your presence there is life and there is freedom and there is peace and there is joy and there is everything that we need for life and godliness. So we come before you right now and we fix our eyes on Jesus, the author, the worker, the the finisher of our faith. And we lock eyes with you this morning, Lord. As we gather together and as we gather around your word, we look to you. God, we don't look to someone on stage. We don't look to each other. But God, we look to you as the bringer of truth. God, we thank you that you're the one who enlightens our eyes and opens our hearts to receive your truth. And so right now, Father, we take a second and we pause. And God, we ask that the anxieties of our hearts that have welled up this week with finals and with projects and with relationships and with work and all the things that we put our hands to and engage in and the anxieties and the frustrations and the stresses that come with it, God, we come before you now and we lay aside every burden and every care. God, for those of us who have just royally fallen short this week or even this weekend, we come before you as the God of grace. We come boldly into the throne room of grace to find strength and help in our time of need. And so right now, we just take a second and we make space and we pause and we listen for you and ask that you would speak to us and prepare our hearts this morning. We welcome you here. We pray that as we meditate on your scriptures and as we share in this time together, we ask that you would teach us and instruct us according to your will and allow us to walk in your ways to the glory of your name. And we pray all these things in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit and the people of God said loud and strong, amen, amen. This morning we're covering this topic of having boundaries and setting up boundaries in our time. Last week, we talked about setting up boundaries in our rest and making sure that we protect these times of rest because these, these times and places of rest are a place of encounter in which we um, experience and encounter God in a, in a specific and unique way. And this morning, we're kind of spinning it. We're going to the opposite side of the spectrum and thinking about how to set up boundaries in our time and the way that we live and the way that we work and these things that we put our hands to. And this topic is a little bit um, scarred in my brain because uh, I carry some baggage into it. Because growing up, I had a mother who was not really good with her time. 
and, uh, and she's, she's better now, and she's, you know, made adjustments, and, and she's good now, so I'm actually able to tell these stories. But, but my mom was the kind of mother who would do her makeup in the car, right? For whatever reason, she just wouldn't get ready, like, before church, and she would just push everything to when she would get ready in the car, which was fine until she would have to drive us to church, which would happen fairly often, And so I vividly remember as a 10-year-old living in Noblesville, Indiana, and driving to Kokomo, Indiana to go to church, and it's this half-hour, 40-minute drive to church, and the mornings that my mom would have to drive us to church, you would think that she would be prepared and do her makeup before she left, but in fact, she didn't. She'd be putting on her makeup while she was driving, and she did the whole nine yards. She did the lipstick, and she did the foundation, and girls, forgive me if I mess up some of this language because it's fairly foreign to me. Um, The blush, she did the mascara even, and the eyeliner, and I I vividly remember as a 10-year-old sitting in the back seat, and my mom has one hand on the wheel and looking up through the rearview mirror and putting mascara on, and I'm thinking, dear God, this is the end. At least we're dying on our way to church. I mean, man. And there was one time specifically where she was putting on her mascara, you know, doing one of these, and I just hear the loudest scream come out of her mouth. She had gotten mascara in her eye and was temporarily blinded as she was driving to church. And I was thinking, oh my goodness, me and my four siblings, just Lord, we're coming to see you soon. Gosh. And, and though we were kind of freaking out and we were grabbing something to hang on to while she was panicking and blinded and, you know, assuming that we were about to crash, as a 10-year-old, I vividly remember thinking, why couldn't she have just done this at home? Like, why, why did she have to do this in the car and put our lives in danger? Like, why, why must she insist on putting on makeup in the car? And hopefully, we're not all that bad when it comes to managing our time. If, if you are bad, girls especially, we have counselors here on, on standby. You can go see a counselor in the main service. I can even pray. You know, we'll, we'll find some help for you. There, there is help. But thinking about this idea of setting boundaries in our time, like I remember, man, why? Why, why can't you, mom, just set up things that would ensure that you get ready before we leave, and so you're not risking our lives when we're leaving. And, and it's important to, to make sure and ensure that we are tight, and we're scheduled, and we're boundaried in the way that we spend our time so that we can be um, good stewards and use our time wisely in the way that God would desire us to. And so um, this morning, as we talk about boundaries in our time, we all kind of lean on two different sides of the spectrum on this issue. On one side, there are the time wasters, okay? And I want you to get vulnerable and get real and, and don't, don't be all, you know, pharisaic here. Don't act like you got everything figured out. Recognize which one you lean to. There are the time wasters. There are the ones that just are the laid back ones. You know, I would probably put myself in this category if I had to lean one way or the other. It's just, dude, like, just chill, man. Like, just turn on TV, just veg, kick back, relax. Like, you can get that stuff done later, right? Procrastinating, staying up the night before your finals, like, you know, all that. Just, hey, wasting time, time to kill. We'll figure it out when we figure it out, okay? So that's one side. But then there's the other side. The type A's. 
the ones that are the workaholics, the ones that have to be busy every single day, every single moment of their passing life. And, and it's like you're studying for finals six months before the final even starts. Week one of the class, you're like get, getting ready for finals. Let's do this thing, baby. And you're filling your schedule, and you're filling your schedule, and, and it's busy, and it's busy, and it's busy, and there's a little margin, okay? And so that's kind of two ends of the spectrum that we're working with, and I think we all have a natural leaning towards. And so right now, I want to encourage you to recognize which category you fall into. As we begin talking about time, it's important. This is actually the first step that we need to consider and keep in mind as we talk about setting up boundaries, because then we know how to set up our boundaries in our time. And we know innately what our leanings are. If we lean towards procrastination and, you know, kicking back and wasting time a little bit, or we lean towards the type A, where you got to be busy and there's a little margin. So as we're recognizing that, um, there's two things that we're going to kind of go about this topic with this morning. First, I want to answer the why, and then I want to answer the how. First, the why of why we set up boundaries. What's the purpose of setting up boundaries in our time? What, what, what is the big deal? Why can't I just kind of live the way that I think is best to live and then figure it out as I go? What, why is this so important? What does the Bible have to say about setting up boundaries in our time? Okay, so that's the why. And then we're going to talk about the how. How do we set up boundaries? Um, what does it look like exactly to put boundaries into place with our time? Does it mean I have to be this Nazi who, you know, cracks people with a whip every time they try and intrude on my time boundaries? Like, okay. So we're going to look at the why and the how, all right? So first, the why. Psalm 90 does a really good job of explaining this why and bringing this theological perspective to the way that we spend our time. So let's go to Psalm 90, verses 10 through 12. Many scholars believe, and there may even be notes in your Bible, that Moses was the one who penned this psalm. Which is interesting because if we adopt a conservative interpretation of that, and that we believe Moses really did author this psalm, then think about the life of Moses for a second. Think about how busy that dude was. Think about leading Hundreds of thousands, arguably some scholars think millions of Israelites across the desert in implementing the law and overseeing all these people. Imagine how busy this dude was and how much he needed to value his time and set up boundaries in his time, all right? So from the mouth of Moses, here's what Psalm 90 says, verse 10. Seventy years are given to us. Some even live to 80. If you're Chris Traeger from Parks and Rec, your goal is 150 years, right? Literally, the best workout I've ever had. But even the best years are filled with pain and trouble. Soon they disappear and we fly away. Who can comprehend the power of your anger? Your wrath is as awesome as the fear you deserve. Our God's a holy and a just and a righteous God that demands reverence, is essentially what he's saying. But this is it, verse 12. Teach us to realize the brevity of life so that we may grow in wisdom. And in poetic fashion here, the psalmist, Moses, is coming to grips with and recognizing and processing this idea of time. 
And as he's often as the psalmists do, they're kind of thinking out loud. They're not really these refined, polished, neat theological statements, but they're the rawness of their emotions. It's the rawness of life circumstances. They're simply thinking and processing out loud. And Moses is kind of doing that. And, and he, he's coming to grips with this idea of time. And as he's doing so, he recognizes something incredibly unique about time. He recognizes that time isn't something that simply is. This simply isn't a part of life, but there's actually a highly spiritual element to time. We see in Psalm 90 that um, there's two spiritual principles. There there are these highly um, spiritual imperatives and, and, and implications that we can draw from this passage on time. And the first is time is stewarded. Time is stewarded. Moses says, 70 years are given to us, some even 80. In other words, things don't really just happen. Time isn't just falling in the lap of humanity, but, but um, as the psalmist says in Psalm 193, all the days were fashioned for me before one of them came to be. Time is this thing that is given. Time is this thing that is stewarded. And I think often we can think of time as something that kind of just is, something that exists, something that we have, but maybe doesn't really offer a lot of spiritual value or importance. And we think reading the Bible and spending time with the Lord and church and deep, healthy relationships and going for my degree and work, those can be the spiritual things, right? Those are the things God's really interested in. Me finding my calling and figuring out what he's calling me to do with my life. God's really interested in that. But the way I spend my time, eh, maybe, not really. I think God could kind of care less about that. I think often we can, we can have this thought process. And I think this is an unnecessary designation. I think we're kind of Gnostic if we're thinking that way. We're, we're dividing that which is physical between that which is spiritual. We're thinking the spiritual activities are the things that really get God's attention, but then the physical things like time, eh, maybe. But instead, we see in Psalm 90 this other narrative, this counter-narrative. We see that time was in fact given to us and is profoundly spiritual. We see that time was stewarded to us, that God gave us this time to use wisely, to spend wisely, to use for his purposes, that time was given to us by the very hand of God and is therefore spiritual. And if time was stewarded to us and given to us by God, then we see the second reality play out in Psalm 90, and that is this, time is sacred. Time is stewarded, yes, given to us, yes. We have a responsibility to use it, yes. But time is also sacred, given by the very hand of God. It's something that God gives us to steward wisely and to count as holy and to realize, as the psalmist says, the brevity of life, that life just whisks away. It's here and it's there and it's gone. And if time is indeed sacred, then we need to be very careful and we ought to be intentional. And we ought to be boundaried in the way that we use our time or else we're being found as poor stewards. We're being found as those who have treated the sacred as a common thing. 
We're found as those who aren't good stewards, who don't spend our time wisely and well as the Lord would desire. And so as the people of God, we have this identity. We have this calling to the stewardship of the sacred. We have this calling to spend our time wisely. It's not something, again, that we just have or something that we can use however we please, but it's something that we've been stewarded with. We are stewarding the sacred, and as the people of God, we're called to steward it wisely, this thing of time. This week, me and JC, my wife, went up to Fort Collins, and uh, her grandpa just this last week, had passed away, and we were going up for the funeral. And um, her grandpa was this man of faith, this man who had just walked with the Lord for decades, one of those, you know. Many of us probably have those in our lives, but those, those guys that you just look up to, and he left a legacy with his family, and he was just a man of God and solid and this amazing musician. I have this memory of him where we, we went to his house one day, and he had this wraparound porch in his house, and he's sitting there on the front porch just like shredding away on his guitar, and we're thinking, whoa, that's awesome. And we turn the corner, and there's like two dozen family members on the other side, like with a stand-up bass and with a cello, and like just country music at its finest. Like somebody had like this spoon they were slapping on. Like, whoa, country am I in? Man. But this man was just amazing. He was this man of faith, and he lived this long life, and now he had died and gone to be with the Lord, and we were going to this funeral, and um, we left on Thursday, and the funeral was Friday morning. And we get there, and we have a 15-month-old baby boy named Rush. I like to brag on him. He's cute. He's sweet. He's awesome. Um, he's got a little bit of an attitude. But, uh, but he's the best. And now that we have a 15-month-old, our days of sitting still in things are effectively over. Um, we kind of have to split and one person covers him and the other person does whatever. And that was kind of the case this week where um, I told JC, babe, you go, you be in the funeral, you sit with your family. I'm going to take Rush and I'll walk with him and he's fighting this cold bug. And so I just, I had to give Rush some time and kind of be on the outskirts of this funeral that was happening. And so I'm putting Rush in his stroller and I'm taking a walk and kind of doing laps around the lobby. And I'm thinking about this legacy that that her grandpa had just left, and thinking about this man of God who had just passed away. And then I'm thinking about this morning. I'm thinking about Sunday. I'm thinking about this idea of time that I'm going to be talking through. I'm thinking about Psalm 90, how the psalmist says, teach us the brevity of life, you know, how it's here and gone and how quick it is. And it was this moment of recognizing the sacrality of, of life, the, the sacredness of life, how valuable and precious life truly is. And often when we go to funerals and when we mourn the loss of family members or friends, there's something that happens when we get some perspective. There's something that happens when we realize, wow, you, you kind of introspective. You're thinking about your life and thinking about you looking back and when you're on your deathbed, thinking about how you've spent your time and your life and you know, stewardship and all these things. And so I'm just walking around the lobby and these things are just becoming real and they're crystallizing in me. And I'm thinking, God, let me honor and let me value the time that you've given me. I want to be like this man. I want to be the man who was faithful with the time I've been given. I want to be the guy who looks back and says, yes, I spent my time well and wisely. And I want to get to heaven and God say, well done, good and faithful servant. 
And it was this, just this surreal and unique moment in uh, kind of considering the weight of all this. But I think when we have moments like that, when we really stop and when we really realize the sacredness of the time we've been given, then we can't help but echo the prayer of the psalmist. You know, teach us to realize the brevity of life so that we may grow in wisdom. God, teach us to realize how quick life goes. Teach us to realize how valuable time really is so that we may have wisdom and we may walk wisely and we may be men and women who steward what you've given us, who steward the sacred well. And so why do we set up boundaries in our time? Because we're stewarding the sacred. Because it's this thing that God has given us that is way more than time management. And it's way more than just getting tight with your calendar. And it's way more than just knowing where you're going to be when and being on time to things and making space for things. But it is the sacred. It is something that we've been given by the very hand of God and we are now called to steward well. That's the why. Now the how. The Apostle Paul talks about the how in Ephesians 5, 15 through 17. This is a well-known passage. You can turn there if you got your Bibles. The Apostle Paul articulates the how of this idea so beautifully when he says this. Look carefully then how you walk, not as unwise, but as wise, making the best use of time because the days are evil. Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. Keep that phrase in mind for a second. But what the Apostle Paul here is saying and trying to articulate, he, he kind of addresses the why in some ways. First he says, we ought to walk in wisdom because of the state of the world in which we live. We as the people of God live in the last days. And I think that idea can kind of get cloudy to us because generation after generation after generation, really since the beginning of the early church, has viewed their generation as the last generation. And so I think we can be too quick to throw the baby out with the bathwater and say, oh, yeah, whatever, like, Jesus will come. But the Bible instead offers us this narrative that we are to be prepared and we're to be sober-minded and we're to look ahead to the second coming of Jesus Christ. And so in light of this reality, the Apostle Paul is saying, be careful how you live. Walk wisely because the church is on a pedestal. You as the people of God, as sons and daughters of the living God, are living on a pedestal for the fallen and broken world to see. So walk wisely. Steward your time well. Make sure you're spending your time wisely. Make sure you're giving yourselves to things that you need to be giving yourself to. And he says this phrase. He says, understand what the will of the Lord is. This is the how. In other words, that which is pleasing the Lord. Understand what pleases the Lord. Understand what God has in mind for your life. And I think the one question that we need to start asking, if we're not already, as we become intentional about setting up boundaries in our time, is this. Is what I'm doing with my time right now pleasing to the Lord? Is me engaging in this, or is me spending my time on this, is this pleasing to the Lord right now? That should be the filter, the framework in which we establish our boundaries in. Because if the answer is yes, do it, right? If the answer is no, don't do it. Deep, I know. I'm a theologian, can you tell? No. If it's maybe, if you're not really sure, then walk in wisdom, 
what does wisdom have to say? You know, exercise wisdom. For instance, um, let's say you're a nursing major and you desire to go to school and you desire to go into your profession. Well, if you go to school and you're desiring to be a nursing major and you're learning about nursing and all that, um, do you think that's pleasing to the Lord, like showing faithfulness in that? I think it is. If you're going home and you're spending five hours on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, Snapchatting, and then you watch an episode of The Office before you go to bed, is that pleasing to the Lord? Like just five or six hours of just like kicking back and vegging? Maybe, I would argue probably not. And that's where you need wisdom. You know, what does wisdom say? But it is what I'm doing with my time now, pleasing to the Lord. As we continue to ask that question, then I think that informs the way that we ought to spend our time. Now, there's two things I want to hone in on in Paul's statement here, understanding what the will of the Lord is. There is an objective component to the statement, and there is a subjective component, okay? The objective is what generally pleases the Lord. Again, Paul is speaking to the church of Ephesus. He's speaking to a local church body in this local church communal corporate context, okay? So the objective has to be asked first. What in general pleases the Lord? If anybody spends time reading scripture, spends time serving the world and witnessing and loving on people and being salt and light, no matter who you are, that's going to be pleasing to the Lord, right? God is going to love that and be pleased with it and be honored by it no matter who you are, okay? So there's the objective components there that we need to keep in mind. But the thing I think that excites us when we get into this topic of, oh, the will of God, what's God's will for me? Well, that's the subjective component. And I think we need to keep both in mind, maybe even lean towards what God generally has to say before getting you know, into the nuances and the nitty-gritty of the specific. But the question is, in the subjective and the individualistic component is, what is God calling me to do? Which I think we are quite fond of that question. Wouldn't you agree? What's God calling me to do? What's the vocation he requires me to step into? What, what are things I can put my hands on now and give attention to, to, to uh, please the Lord in all I do? And with this, uh, let's go back to the nursing major again. Um, if someone desires to be a nursing major and they give attention, and they feel called to be a nurse, and they feel called to go in the medical field, and they feel like that's what God is leading them towards. If they go to college for nursing, is that pleasing to the Lord? Resounding? Yes, right? Because they feel that God is leading them in that direction, and so for them to be faithful to that calling is pleasing to the Lord. And let me spin it. Even if God isn't calling them to that, and even if they're somehow off and God has other things in store for them, them just taking the simple step of faith and acting upon which they think they know, I think is pleasing to the Lord. And so I don't think we have to have this whole calling thing figured out. I think we just take the steps and obviously consult the Lord and pray and spend time in the Word and hearing from Him. But if we take steps in what we sense the Lord is leading us to, that is pleasing to the Lord. If you feel led to lead a small group, forget occupation and vocation for a second, if you're called to just lead a small group and serve in church, then digging into resources and thinking of topics and having conversations about framing the content, is that pleasing to the Lord? Yes. Leading the small group itself is pleasing to the Lord, you know? But it's because God is calling you to that specifically. Now, on the flip side... I'll use the example of me and my wife. My wife, JC, is a photographer, 
right? She is gifted. She is awesome. The Lord has given her favor in that. She feels like that's what God's calling her to do for this season of her life. I feel called and am called to be a pastor and to lead and to shepherd and to oversee you guys. Now, if I were to spend the majority of my time on photography and on Photoshop, and on taking pictures, would that be pleasing to the Lord in the way that I spend my time? If I were to just put pastoring on the shelf and say, you know what, I'm going to choose to do this, would that be pleasing to the Lord? I would argue no, because I have a conviction that I need to be giving attention to this, but now I'm giving my whole attention to this. There's, there's dissonance there, you know? And then JC, if she tries to go into pastoring, and she feels like she wants to do that, but she's really, you know what I'm saying? So it's the subjective component. It's what is the Lord calling me to do? And again, I think that needs to be fit within the framework of the objective first. But asking this question, what the will of the Lord is, what does God desire me to do with my time? Is God pleased with the way that I'm using my time? I think this is a huge question that we ought to ask really every day in our lives as we seek to set up boundaries. And the big idea here is that our callings inform the way we spend our time. Our callings inform the way we spend our time. If, if, we, if we feel led and called to something specific, well, then we ought to spend our time doing that, Right? As a pastor, I ought to spend my time reading and studying and digging into theological texts and studying the scriptures and spending time in prayer. I need to give myself an attention to these things because that is my calling. That is my vocational calling. I'll say it that way. And so my calling informs my time in the way I structure my time. Um, when I look back on my late teens and early 20s, I was in full-time ministry. I had a job at a church down in Texas, and I was in student ministry at the time. And I remember I did not have a handle on this concept whatsoever, right? So I would come home, and I'd be working hard in ministry. Then I'd come home, and I would just kick back on the couch and veg with a capital V. I was like, don't, just, I'm not going to read. I'm not going to do anything. I'm just going to watch TV and I'm just going to drink some soda, and I'm just going to chill, right? And, uh, and we'll, we'll get to kind of the balance in this in a second. But I would come home, and this is when The Office and Lost were both in their heyday. They had just hit Netflix. It was like, oh, glory, yes. I got all 10 seasons of The Office. I got all six seasons of Lost. I am good, all right? And every night, I would come home and just watch TV and watch TV and watch TV and play a video game here and play a video game there, but just veg. And I look back, and actually, that is my greatest regret in my late teens and early 20s, is not having this framework engaged for how I ought to spend my time. I would come home and veg so much that I, I wasted so much time watching TV when I could have been devoting time to my calling and sharpening my skills. I so wish I could go back and read more and spend more time in the Word and spend more time listening to podcasts and further developing, at the time I was a worship leader, developing my, my craft in music and honing that in or learning how to speak and communicate. You know, I so wish I could go back and reframe the way I spent my time. And now, when I look at my life, I feel like I have gone through that ringer enough to know I'm called to this, this, and this, and I'm going to spend my time accordingly. 
Like when I go home, I know that I'm called, number one, before pastoring, before anything, I'm called to my family. I'm called to JC. I'm called to Rush. I'm called to wrestle with Rush and rough him up a little bit and play with him and love on him. I'm called to my family. And so when I go home, I'm not going to waste my time watching TV for six hours. I'm not going to plop on the couch and say, babe, bring the dinner while I'm scrolling through social media because I would get slapped in the face, (laughs) which I should. But I'm going to frame my time around them. My callings inform my time. I'm going to spend my time for them, loving on them, being present with them. And uh, the more we seek the Lord and the more we spend time with him and the more we take steps into his plan for us, I think the more our callings crystallize and I think the more we become better informed about how we ought to spend our time. Because again, you're not going to spend your time on this if God's leading you over here. Um, And the end goal here is not to give ourselves a pat on the back and it's not to feel good about ourselves and to say, oh yeah, I'm being a faithful steward. What's up? Yeah. David Leal, what's up? I'm being a faithful steward, man. I'm bragging. Yeah. I'm feeling good. I'm a good steward. I'm faithful. No, there's an end goal here. The end goal of our stewardship is intentionality in everything we do. Obviously, the end, end goal, the ultimate goal that we're striving for is to honor God with what we do. But the end goal of our stewardship is intentionality in everything we do, where everything has purpose, where everything has meaning, where everything, every way that we spend our time is worship unto the Lord. And as an evening sacrifice, it's fragrance before the Lord, where we say, God, this is yours. This time of rest is yours. This time of work is yours. This time in my class is yours. I'm using this as worship unto you. And our end goal ought to be intentionality. It ought to be this thing where we're constantly asking and putting this thing through the framework of, is this pleasing to the Lord? Now, I want to take a second and offer a disclaimer. This does not mean that I'm saying you cut everything out of your life that is not explicitly productive. We'll say it that way. It doesn't mean that you cut every hobby, you cut every relationship, you cut everything out of your life that's not work or that's not productive, because I don't think that's what God desires. Because there's this thing about, we kind of touched on this last week, but there's this thing about hobbies, and there's this thing about recreation, and there's this thing about rest that renews and restores our soul. There's this thing that recharges our batteries, that we're able to just, we're we're able to get encouraged. We're able to encounter God in a fresh way. And these things, though they're not immediately and obviously productive, they are productive in their own fashion. They're productive in the way that they renew us and restore us and bring us closer to God. And so I'm not saying that we cut everything, but I'm saying we ought to exercise wisdom as we seek to set up these boundaries in our time. What does wisdom say? How am I to frame my time right now? Recreation, okay, I'm going to spend that here, but I'm not going to do too much of that because I recognize that that's probably poor stewardship. Or, man, I've gone through the ringer this week and I'm feeling tired. I really need some extended time of recreation and hobbies and all that. Now, for example, um, JC and I love to go home and, um, and you guys are going to think this, this is funny because it seems like it's contradictory, but it's not. Uh, we love to go home and watch shows together from time to time, right? So we just got into Designated Survivor. I don't know if you guys, oh, come on. 
We're going to talk about that after service. The plot started off slow, and it was like, I don't know about this. Kiefer Sutherland, man, you were good in 24, but not quite sure about this. But the plot is thickening people, and it's a conspiracy theory full-blown. It's getting great. And so we like watching uh, Designated Survivor and shows together. Now, we watch those together um, on a limited basis because that's kind of our time together. And we don't have to have these deep, meaningful, rich conversations all the time. Obviously, marriage is built upon that. But just sitting and being present with each other and engaging in something together and then having something to talk about, that's productive. You know, that, that, that fills our tank where we're with one another. You guys may have different convictions. You may feel like you never want to do that with your spouse, and that's fine. You do you. But for me and JC, it works. It's this way of recharge. It's this way of refresh. But in that, we have to make sure that we're being wise. We need to make sure that we're not spending seven hours when we get home watching shows and neglecting Rush, right? Rush is like getting into the knife drawer while we're watching <laughs> Kiefer Sutherland. Probably not wisdom. But again, because my callings are kind of becoming crystallized, I know how to spend my time. I know I'm going to go to work and I'm going to give my all to this ministry. And I know I'm going to come home and I'm going to spend time with JC. I'm going to spend time with Rush, loving on them. And then when they go to bed, I'm going to give myself to school and to study and to furthering my formal education and all that. And so the way that I spend my time is intentional and it's purposeful. And the end goal for me, one day, somehow, if I ever seem to get a grip on this thing, is to do everything intentionally. And in every little thing I do, there's purpose and there is meaning. And I'm not kind of just letting things go and just doing things as they happen, but there is intentionality and there is purpose. So this morning... The question is, is the rhythm of your life ordered around pleasing the Lord with your time? Do you feel that God is pleased with the way that you're using your time? And again, I want to bring it back to the beginning where all of us fall on one end of the spectrum here. There's time wasters, obviously, maybe not to the extreme, maybe. But there's a lean either to the time wasting or a lean to the workaholicism, if I may say so. And so I asked you to kind of process that and recognize that before we started. To the time wasters, remember, if you lean that way, time is sacred. You've been given this thing, stewarded this thing to use wisely. So spend it wisely. Use your time in a way that pleases God. Seek to honor God in the way that you use your time. And he's not, he's not demanding perfection right off the bat, but he's demanding movement. He's demanding responsibility. He's demanding at least somewhat of a step in the area of stewardship. And to the workaholic, I want to say productive does not equal busy. And busy does not equal productive. Just because you're busy does not mean you're being productive. Just because you're busy doesn't mean that you're giving attention to the things that God desires you give attention to. But I want to encourage you, prune some things. Cut some things out of your life. If you feel like you are just overloaded and you have no time to give to anything else, assess your life. Take a step back. Look at what you can prune, what you can cut, what you can tear down so that you can have margin for the things that God is calling you to. Because I think you'll find that if you take a step back and you assess your life, you'll see this, 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 and this, I'm kind of just doing. 
And I don't know why I'm doing it. There's no purpose behind it. But when you prune those things, then I believe God speaks and he says, now give attention to this. And your calling will crystallize a little bit more. And the goal is not productivity. The goal is not just to be good stewards of our time for the sake of good stewardship, but our goal is to be pleasing and to honor God and to use everything that we do as worship, redeeming the time because the days are evil, teaching and learning from God to number our days, the brevity of life so that we may gain a heart of wisdom. So let's respond right now. Let's take a second. Let's close our eyes and posture ourselves before the Lord. And I just want you once again to recognize where you're at. Recognize where you lean. Recognize what your, what your innate default is. Whether it's to the workaholicism or whether it's to the time-wasting. What can you do to reorient yourself into the will of God? What can you do to step into what God has for you and to be a better steward of the sacred? Lord, here we are. We thank you for life. We thank you for your love. We thank you for your word. God, that encourages, that convicts, that calls us to repentance. And Lord, would you help us to make adjustments and make the necessary changes in our lives? Again, not for productivity's sake, but so that we may be pleasing in your sight that we may be found faithful in everything we do. So God, as we discuss, I pray that you would help frame this in our minds and frame this in our hearts and help us to implement this in a way that is pleasing to you. And may the words of our mouths and the meditation of our heart in this discussion be pleasing to you, our rock and our redeemer. We love you. In the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. All right, guys. Um, there's a second question on here that I want to give attention to before we jump in. Can we get those questions up? Uh, okay. Our callings inform, number two, the way we spend our time. What things do you feel called or led to do? I want to encourage you, don't purely and exclusively think occupationally here. Because a lot of times God calls us to things that maybe we're not supposed to do occupationally, but we're supposed to do vocationally. And I think there is a difference between that. Maybe not getting paid to do it and not drawing monetary, you know, paychecks through it, but, but doing it as a way to please the Lord and fulfill calling. So don't be bound to the occupational side on that question, but just kind of think outside the box uh, in other areas. So uh, bless you guys as you discuss. Enjoy. All right. Let's stand to our feet. Let's do our benediction together. Our benediction this morning is going to be out of Psalm 90, which is fitting. I love this. It's one of my favorite passages. So let's, uh, let's pray this together as our prayer and declaration of the Lord. Let's read it together. Teach us to realize the brevity of life so that we may grow in wisdom. O oh Lord, come back to us. How long will you delay? Take pity on your servants. Satisfy us each morning with your unfailing love so we may sing for joy to the end of our lives. And God's people said, Amen.